Well, I have a confession to make today, and I'm kind of ashamed to make it, but I feel like I need to go ahead and say it publicly, and I've said it once at 9.30, so now this will be the second time I've said it. Um, I have a little problem when it comes to ordering in fast food lines. Uh, Do you know when you go to a particular restaurant and they ask you to place an order, and they say that they'll bring your food to you, so they ask for a name, I sometimes lie and give them a name that's not my name. Just to hear them say Beauregard. <laughs> or Felix. I, and I don't do it as much anymore because I'm getting older and it does, it looks, it's, not, you know, it's not as fun as it used to be. But, but I used to do it. The problem when I stopped doing it was when I would forget that I'd given them a different name and I'd sit there and wait on my food and it would never come. <laughs> but I've got I've to confess more than that because it's, it's worse than that. Um, have you ever gone to a conference or a place where uh, you were given uh, name tags? Yeah? Now, some of you have done this. And you write a different name on the name tag than the one that's your name, just so that, you know, you, you, nobody knows you. So you might have always wanted to feel what it was like to, you know, to be Jim or Bob or somebody else. So put a different name tag on there. Now, I don't do this one very much, but, uh, but I do know people that do it. Now, if you haven't done those two things, here's what you have done. You have put on a name tag that was not truly reflective of what was on the inside because there have been times where people have asked you, Hey, how are you doing? And what's your answer? Fine, I'm fine. That's who I am when you're really not fine. We say, hey, how are you feeling today? Good, yeah, I feel great, feel really good today. Hey, um, how's, how's, uh, how's work going? It's okay. Work's never more than that, but we, we might. It's okay. Well, how is, uh, how's the family doing? Oh, they're all doing well. And we put these name tags on, and they're just like using a name that doesn't belong to us, aren't they? That we sometimes will just respond that way, when in fact, if we were to be honest, uh, when people were talking to us about the condition of our heart and our soul, we might say, you know what? I'm hurting today. That's who I am. I'm hurting today. I've gone through some difficult times this week, and I'm hurting. Or we might say, you know what? The truth be told, I'm grieving. That's who I am. And it doesn't even make sense because the person I'm grieving has been gone for years or months or decades even. And it doesn't make sense. Why can't I move on past this? I'm grieving. That's who I am. Maybe sometimes we should respond with the truth and we should say, you know what? I'm addicted. I'm addicted to prescription drugs. I'm I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to overeating. Maybe sometimes what our response should be, you know what? Truth is, I'm angry. That's who I am. I'm angry. And I don't even really know why I'm angry. And I'm so angry that I just, anger just spills out of me. To everybody who comes in my path, if they just say something wrong or turn the wrong way, anger. That's who I am. That's who I really am. Sometimes maybe our response should be, you know what? Really, if I told you who I really am, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm ashamed of who I've become. I'm ashamed. And, and I feel like everybody knows what I've done and I feel like everybody judges me and I feel like everybody's looking at me I'm ashamed that's who I am or maybe we would say you know what the truth is I'm lonely I'm lonely I'm surrounded by people but I feel like I'm all alone and I never feel more alone 
than when I come to church and I see all the people who respond to all the questions with fine and good and well and I'm not fine and I'm not good and I'm not well and I don't know if I ever will be. See, at church, we have different words we use because sometimes we'll do this and we'll use church words because that makes it even better, right? So when we say, well, how are you doing? The answer is, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed when in fact, we don't feel blessed at all. We don't feel like God's blessing us. In fact, we may, if we're really honest, we may feel like we're cursed, like God's been cursing us. But we don't want to say that, do we? I mean, what would that be like if everybody came to church and said the truth about what they were feeling and thinking? So instead, we just keep putting on the name tags with names that don't belong to us. I want to tell you a story today about a woman who did exactly what many of us are afraid to do. She told the truth about how she felt. When somebody said, how are you? She said, I'm not good. And let me tell you why. Her story is found in the book of Ruth. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to that Old Testament book. It's towards uh, the front. If you get to Joshua, Judges, Ruth will be next. If you get to First and Second Samuel, you've gone too far. The little book of Ruth will be beginning in verse 19 today. But let me bring you up to speed uh, with our story so far. We're, we're really talking primarily about a character in the story by the name of Naomi. And Naomi was a good Jewish woman, a good Jewish mother, and she and her husband had two sons, and God had really blessed them in spite of the fact that this was a difficult time in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, But a drought came, as droughts often did during those days, and uh, Naomi's husband decided that he would pack up his little family and they would leave Bethlehem. They would leave the promised land, and instead they would go to a country called Moab, which really represented everything that had been in opposition to the people of God all along. So they went to Moab, and Naomi and the two boys went along, and they got to Moab, and it wasn't long before Naomi's husband died, leaving Naomi with two boys to raise on her own. And that didn't turn out too well, because after a certain number of years, when they got old enough to marry, they married Moabite women. Uh, And that was really a disappointment to Naomi, because... These boys had been raised to be good, uh, God-fearing Jews, and all the Moabite women worshipped false gods, and so Naomi was certainly disappointed, but she decided that she would display for her daughters-in-law love anyway, that she would display for them what the Bible, the the biblical word is hesed, a, a love that is not reciprocal, a love that is unconditional, a love that's made by choice and determination. So she loved those girls that way, and it was a good thing she did because tragedy was about to come again. When both boys suddenly died. Uh, We don't know if it was a plague or a disease or war. But something happened and and both boys died. Leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law all alone. And word eventually reached Naomi that the situation in Bethlehem had improved. And so so Naomi decided she would go back to Bethlehem. And her two daughters-in-law who were so taken with their mother-in-law's love for them. That they decided that they would go along with her. Maybe it was because they had never experienced Hesed love before. They'd never seen anybody love like Naomi had loved them. So they, they decided to follow along, but somewhere on the journey, things got difficult. Three women traveling all by themselves through the desert, whether they ran out of supplies or whether they were bandits, we don't really know. But somewhere along the journey, Naomi turned to her two daughters-in-law and she said, Listen, girls, you just, you just go back to your people. Go, just go back home. This is too hard. There's, I have no hope. I have no future. 
you go back, you're still young, you can get married, and you can move on with your lives. So the one daughter-in-law, Orpah, did just that. She, she kissed her mother-in-law, and she turned, and she went back to Moab. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, she clung on to Naomi with the same kind of hesed love that she had learned from her mother-in-law. That she said, I will love you no matter what. Something had changed in Ruth. She had seen something in Naomi. She, she had experienced the love of the one true God, and it had changed Ruth's heart. And so Ruth reveals to Naomi that I'm following your God now. That, those gods are not my God. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. I'm committed to you, Naomi, with a hesed love, the same love that you gave me, the same love that God has for us. And so they continued on their journey, and today we're going to pick up in verse 19 where they arrive in the city of Bethlehem. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, that word there, the whole town was stirred, literally means that there was a buzz in the air. I mean, the, the word was just spreading like wildfire all over that, that somebody who's been gone, remember Naomi, remember her family, she left a long time ago, she's back now, she's back. And so the buzz began to circulate, but it wasn't just that it was Naomi, there were questions, is this Naomi? Something had changed, and it was more than 10 years of age. Naomi was different, and then who was this strange foreign woman that was traveling with her, and hey, didn't she have two sons when she left, and what about her husband? I, I wonder where her husband is. And so there was a buzz throughout the town of Bethlehem as Naomi and Ruth were making their way back into town. And Naomi, it appears, had tried to slip in quietly without drawing attention to herself. Haven't you done that at times? Maybe when you didn't want people asking you about what had happened. Maybe they hadn't seen you in a long time and now the person who was your husband is your ex-husband. And you don't want to have to explain that story. That the person who they expect to be with you died somewhere along the line and you don't want to have to rehearse the grief over and over and over again by telling the story to people who didn't know these people didn't know anything that had happened. There was no Facebook. Nobody could keep up with Naomi while she was in Moab. So when she comes back to town, there are questions to be answered. And Naomi doesn't want to have to rehearse it over and over again. So she tries to slip into town. But there's a noticeable difference in her. Something has changed. The whole town wants to celebrate Naomi's arrival. But Naomi would much rather be unnoticed because celebrations sometimes can feel like salt in an open wound when we're hurting and grieving. So she said to them, verse 20, Do not call me Naomi. Now her name in Hebrew literally means pleasant. Hello, pleasant, how are you? Don't call me that. I'm not fine. I'm not good. It's not okay. It is not all well. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Now, she had just told her daughters-in-law 
uh, on the, as they began to make their journey. She says, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has turned against me. She's continued to wallow in this dark place and her heart has grown bitter. She says, don't call me pleasant because I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. For, and here's what she says, for, this is the reason, the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. This is God's fault. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi's grief and pain are real. She is not wearing a mask. She is not saying fine when she's not fine. She is not putting on somebody else's name tag. She is saying what is really going on in her heart. And her bitterness was blinding her to what God was already doing around her. Have you ever been there? Where you're so disappointed with God that you're really not even evaluating your circumstances accurately? Because God had displayed faithfulness to Naomi that Naomi had forgotten about. See, Naomi wasn't telling exactly the complete truth in this statement. She said, I went away full and came back empty. But there was somebody standing beside her who wasn't with her when she left. And her name was Ruth. And Ruth's love for Naomi was like God's love. It was a love that made no sense. It was hesed. And Naomi couldn't even see what was standing right beside her. She totally missed what God was doing in the middle of her grief, in the middle of her pain. God was present. Her faith in God is what caused her to be so frustrated. See, it wasn't that Naomi had stopped believing in God. Naomi actually believed deeply in God, and it was her faith in God, it was her belief in God that caused her to be so upset with him. She, says, she paints this picture, she says, I have gone to court, and God is testifying against me, but God is also the judge. I can't win with him. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked at your circumstances and your struggles and your pain? And while sure you can look around and say, well, maybe I brought that on myself because I made some bad choices. That, that's true in all of our cases. There are other things that happen in our life that we don't have any control over. Naomi just says, God has done this to me. Maybe today you're here and you feel like Naomi. And you feel the pain. And you feel the disappointment. And you feel the anger. No matter what you say, no matter what you say to people who ask you, how are you doing, it's good to see you. Somewhere deep inside, that pain lives in you and it's turning into bitterness. But pain is the evidence that there is something badly out of alignment in this world. Pain is the evidence that there is room in our life to hope for something more. And when we cry out, in the middle of our desperation... It puts us in a position of dependency. That when we confess, when we admit our struggle, when we admit our sin, when we acknowledge the pain, we have positioned ourselves to, re to receive from God 
the comfort that only God can give. But it only comes when we recognize the true condition of our heart. And failing to recognize the pain, failing to openly admit it, prevents us from receiving God's provision in our time of need. You will never see the Ruth that God has placed beside you as long as you are clouded with bitterness. This is why Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. I've thought about that verse a lot. That, I don't like that verse. And, and to be honest, it doesn't even make sense to me. The, the word there, blessed, literally means happy. Happy is the one who mourns. How can that be true? How can I be happy if I'm, the very fact I'm mourning means I'm not happy. But here's what Jesus was saying. It is through your mourning. It's when you confess and admit the grief, the pain, the sorrow, the shame that you feel. It's through that mourning that God will begin to do a work in your life to bring something new into you. So we cry. And the Bible, throughout the book of Psalms, is a book where people cry out to God and say, God, this isn't fair. And God, you've left me alone. And God, you're being silent. The laments of the Bible. And we often skip them, but there's something important to be learned as Naomi cries out in this lament. And I think we need to understand that a broken heart that never cries will eventually stop believing in God. If we just continue to ignore the pain, we don't admit it to ourselves, we don't admit it to the people around us, and we certainly never confess it to God, our hearts grow hard and cold and distant. I think this is why James says in chapter 5 that we should confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. And I know when we read that verse, we often think, well, confessing my sins means I have to come clean of all the bad things I've done. Yes, it does mean that. But do you realize that confession also may just mean the confession of the pain that you're enduring as a result of sin in the world? Confessing the grief that you feel. Confessing the disappointment that you feel. When we begin to open up and confess those things to one another, God's word says, you will be healed. And so Naomi was crying out as a response to her desperation. But crying out is the only thing that we need to do. We need to cry out, but we also need to listen up. Because wallowing in grief can be addictive and will only lead us to bitterness and resentment. And our culture so often will tell us that we have the right to harbor resentment and bitterness. You deserve to be mad. You deserve to harbor anger toward that person who betrayed you, who cheated on you, who lied to you. But that's a lie. Because your resentment is like a cancer eating away at your own soul. It doesn't hurt the other person at all. And so we hold those things in. And when we resent and when we're disappointed with God, it's all the more dangerous for our soul and Naomi was quickly moving in that direction she was allowing the grief and the bitterness to hang on too long she tells everybody call me bitter she told her daughters-in-law I am bitter she silently tries to enter the town and ignore all her lifelong friends she ignores Ruth who's standing right beside her she doesn't pray to God instead she cries out about him 
And this is what I love about this story. That God was not angry with Naomi for accusing him. But that didn't mean that Naomi was right in what she said about God. She had allowed her circumstances, she had allowed her pain to define God rather than inviting God to define her circumstances and her pain. See, this is the prime opportunity in the middle of disappointment, in the middle of pain, in the middle of a broken story, it's the perfect opportunity to learn what it means to have faith. Faith means we wait to the end of the story. Faith never tries to define or describe God in the middle of its circumstances. Faith waits to the end of the story, and your story isn't over yet. You know how I know? Because you're sitting here today. Your story isn't over. And so if you're looking at God from the middle of your circumstances right now, practice faith and hold on to the end of the story. Because it may look bad now, but something better is coming. Faith waits to the end of the story. This is what the disciples forgot after the crucifixion when they spread all across the city and they were hiding because they said it was supposed to be different than this we had hoped he was the one because they defined god from the point of the crucifixion they defined god on good friday but easter sunday was still coming easter sunday is still coming for you don't define God on Good Friday. Define him on Easter Sunday morning because that's where faith begins. Look at, with me at verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. He's kind of recapping the story here. Who returned from the country of Moab, just in case you forgot that she's not a Jew. She's not one of God's chosen people. She's an outsider. She's a foreigner. That Ruth, the one who's practicing Hesed love, the one who's standing faithfully by, that Ruth, that's the one. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. See, something was about to bloom. New life was about to spring up out of all the death that we've read in chapter 1 all along. God's faithfulness is sometimes only seen in the rearview mirror of our lives. When we look back, hold on for the end of the story. In chapter 1, the, the author of Ruth tells us 12 times that Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem. The Hebrew word for returned is literally also translated as repented. That Naomi repented to Bethlehem you know that's what repentance is repentance isn't just oh I'm sorry I messed up repentance is changing directions repentance is returning to what God called you to do even when it doesn't make sense even when it's painful returning to Bethlehem was Naomi's repentance it was like the story Jesus told of the prodigal son you remember that story two brothers 
And the younger brother decided he wanted to take all of his inheritance and go out and live the way he wanted to live. But he ended up poor and broke and eating out of a pig trough. And one day he woke up and he realized that even my, even my dad's servants eat better than this. And he repented. He returned to his father's house. That's exactly what Naomi was doing. And it doesn't feel good when we do it. But it's what we need to bring healing to our souls. It didn't feel good for Naomi to go back to Bethlehem. It didn't feel good for Ruth to leave her home and to move to a foreign land. And it doesn't feel good when we choose to move in God's direction. But it is our acts of obedience that lead us to a faith that will restore what is broken inside of each one of us. Feelings may tell you don't go back, it's too hard. Feelings may tell you give up, but hesed commitment obedience says hang in there the story isn't over so in spite of her doubts in spite of her shame in spite of her disappointment with god naomi continued to do the next right thing and that's exactly what you need to do just do the next right thing You don't have to decide what it looks like in five years, in one year. You don't have to decide what it looks like in a month. Just do the next right thing. Because that's what faith does when it faces disappointment. Faith is the result of obedience in the face of doubt and disappointment. I would argue that there's not even the opportunity to practice faith without doubt and disappointment. It's only when we're confronted with hurt. It's only when we're confronted with pain. It's only when we're confronted with shame and disappointments that we have the opportunity to practice true faith that obeys in spite of itself. I love what C.S. Lewis said in Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters is a collection of letters that a demon writes back to his, uh, his boss trying to Uh, trying to entice this young British soldier uh, to to abandon morality. And and this letter that this demon writes back, he, he, he he hears from his advisor, his boss, he says this, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause, which is the devil's cause, by the way, is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, that means God's will, looks around upon the universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Faith is obedience in spite of doubt and disappointment. For those of you who are here today, and you may not feel like Naomi, maybe you're not harboring bitterness and anger, maybe the Lord's delivered you from that and and you rejoice in the victory he's given you, but maybe you're walking with a Naomi. Maybe you put yourself in Ruth's shoes, and you understand that somebody that you live with, somebody that you work with, somebody that you care about, is so eaten up with bitterness that they might not even see you, and you don't know what to do and how to respond. I think we learned something from this story about how to respond. Nobody in this story is critical of Naomi's outcry. Not the narrator of the story, Not the people of Bethlehem and not Ruth. Nobody offers any criticism. Nobody tries to correct her wrong theology. Ruth didn't pull up beside Naomi and say, Naomi, it's going to be okay. 
Because the truth is, Ruth didn't know if it was going to be okay or not. Because she was in the same boat Naomi was in. Ruth didn't come up beside Naomi and say, Naomi, God's in control. Because there are times when it sure doesn't feel like God's in control. And Ruth didn't pull up beside Naomi and say, Naomi, all things work together for the good. She didn't say any of that. What's left to say when our religious platitudes don't work anymore? Nothing. And that's exactly right. You say nothing. Just be present and listen. See, we're not very good at listening when people cry out. We want to try to fix it, and it can't be fixed. We want to say something that will make it better, but there's nothing that can be said that will make it better. See, the cries of another person often reveal our own sense of helplessness, don't they? That what would we do if we felt that way? What would we do if we were faced with that circumstance? You know what Ruth did? She listened, and she stayed close. She was willing to absorb Naomi's pain and sometimes that's the right thing to do you just absorb the pain you get overlooked you get ignored but you hang in there because that's what hesed love does because when we listen to somebody else's cry we enter into their suffering with them and there is never a time in our lives where we are more like Jesus than when we are walking with somebody who's hurting and willing to absorb their pain because that's what he has done for us this morning as we've gathered here in this place some of you are like Naomi and despite what you may say when you walk into church and people ask how are you doing there's something deep inside there's a bitterness there's an anger there's a hurt there's a grief and nothing seems to make it better and the more you put on the name tags, fine, okay, well, the more you put them on, it's like building an armor plate over your heart. And the name tags just get thicker and thicker, and your heart just grows more and more distant. What would happen if you just believed what the Bible says in James 5, that if you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed? What if that's true? What if that's true? What do you have to lose? Well, what would happen if you confessed it to yourself? And you just looked yourself in the mirror and you say, I'm Naomi, I'm bitter, I'm angry, I'm mad. And, and maybe you don't even know why anymore. What would happen if you cried out to God? I tell you what would happen. He'd meet you right in that place. And it's through the pain and through the disappointment that he'd begin to reveal himself to you. And it might be that he'd reveal himself to you through the people he's placed around you that you've ignored because your pain and your disappointment has blinded you to them. Some of you are Naomi, but some of you are Ruth. Some of you are walking with somebody and you don't know what to say and you've run out of words and you don't know what to do. And to be honest, you don't know how much more of it you can take. I invite you to look at Ruth, but I invite you to look past Ruth to Jesus Christ. That Jesus was willing to absorb our sin and our shame on the cross. It's what he did for you. It's what he did for me. And we practice being like Jesus when we're willing to walk with someone else in their pain. 
we're going to have a time of commitment and invitation this morning. And I, I want to do something a little different. In front of you, there are name tags. Everybody should have some somewhere in the pew racks in front of you. You can grab some and share them with the person next to you. I'm going to ask you to, um, I'm going to, ask you to write one of two things on the name tag, okay? This, this requires you to participate. Everybody finding their name tag. All right. Here, here's what I want you to do. If, if this morning, if this morning you are here and you would say, I identify with Naomi. I identify with Naomi. And if I were to be truthful, nobody wants to hear me. Nobody who asks me how I'm doing really wants to know the truth. But if I were to write the truth on my name tag, I would write, hello, my name is bitter. Hello, my name is angry. Hello, my name is shame. Hello, my name is grief. What would you write on the name tag if you were honest? For those of you who are here and you find yourself in Ruth's situation, I, I want to challenge you to instead of writing down something that's inside of you, may, maybe, you're, maybe you're being transparent with yourself and with your friends and with the Lord, but maybe you're walking with Naomi. I want you just to write down that person's name. Maybe you don't want to write out their whole name. Maybe you want to write their initial or one letter or draw their picture. I don't care how you do it. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to literally practice what the Bible tells us is true. And that is... That Jesus' death on the cross was so that he could absorb that pain. So maybe you will bring your shame and you'll stick it on the cross. Maybe you'll bring your guilt. Maybe you'll bring your disappointment you'll stick it here. Or maybe you'll bring the name of somebody whose pain is too heavy for you to bear alone. And just stick their name on the cross. This will be our response this morning, our time of commitment. And I invite you, if you can't do that today, take that name tag home with you. Stick it someplace where you'll see it every day. And pray that the Lord will begin a fresh work in you of faith through obedience in spite of the pain and disappointment. Will you stand together as we pray? Father, this morning we come to you and we just confess that there's disappointment and pain and shame and fear and doubt and Lord all these things that sometimes we try to cover up we lie we say we're fine we're good we're okay we're well we're blessed but Lord I would just ask in this time of commitment in this time of reflection that maybe for just a moment we would be like Naomi and we'd open the door to our heart and we'd confess. We'd confess the pain, we'd confess the sin, we'd confess the disappointment and by opening our heart we'd leave room for you to come in and to do what only Jesus can do, to absorb our sin and our shame and our doubt and our disappointment and to restore us and make us new and to tell us and remind us that the story is not over. Lord, for those of us who are bearing the burden by walking with Naomi, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the opportunity to be like Jesus. And Lord, may we be faithful to bring that person before you knowing that you are the only one who can heal them.
We invite you, Holy Spirit, to move during this time of commitment, to heal what is broken, and to make all things new. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Insignificance, shame, hurt, fear, powerlessness, loneliness, worry, struggle. Uh, There are names, there are words, to the point that really the cross, this little wooden cross, isn't big enough to hold them all. But I'm so grateful that the cross of Christ is big enough. It's big enough to hold all of these and all that the world could ever or would ever put on them. The invitation is to cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. So my prayer for you as you go about your life is that you will not allow bitterness to have a stronghold and to take root in you. That you will deal with it quickly and that you'll bring it to the only place that can truly bring hope and faith and healing And that's the cross of Jesus Christ.